So if I make a lot of money being a pastor, being a minister, I don't think there's anything ostensibly wrong with that. Now, if I'm going to take that money and go buy a jet plane looking at you, Creflo Dollar, or, you know. For your fourth jet plane. Or my fourth <laughs> jet plane and a $5,000 pair of sneakers, that's not okay. There's tensions all around, and it just feels like it's a hot potato. And that's, between, honestly, like at the end of the day, that's between you and Jesus, right? I mean, yeah. it really, like, if you if you stand up and preach in $5,000 shoes, that's between you and Jesus, man. <laughs> like... Tune in next week. Welcome to episode 192 of Pub Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a craft brewed pint, a fine wine, or whatever happens to be in your glass. Catch new episodes weekly as the Reverends Brian Burkoff, Shannon Weston, and Ogan Holder address and engage what's happening through a theological lens with a good brew in hand. And that good brew might be in your very own Pub Theology Life pint glass, which I can't find mine since I moved. So I don't, you might have to mail me another one. Might have <laughs> to donate goes. $25 to no get hungry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, whoa. Whoa, easy now. Easy yeah. now. Brian's, all right, you, you two have yours. All right, fair enough. Uh, as Shannon said, if you donate $25 or more to NoKidHungry.org, a national organization helping to feed families all over the country, we will send you one of these uh, beautiful pint glasses, absolutely free of charge to you. Just send us proof of your $25 or more donation, and the glass is on its way to you. Thank you. This week, we'll be talking about favorite shoes, getting rich for Jesus, racism, robots, and self-care. Oh, my. All the usual. <laughs> so what are we drinking today? Brian, what are you drink drinking? Let's start with you. So uh, I've got the last of my Perrin Brewing IPAs, and this one is Lots of Problems IPA, 8, <laughs> 8.6% ABV, oh, Wow, tasty IPA. Good thing I don't have any meetings after this. That is We're talking about money today. More money, more problems. Very timely. <laughs> very, very timely. What are you drinking, Shannon? Um, so I'm drinking a Flying Dog Chesapeake Wheat American Wheat Ooh, Ale. Yeah. Which, uh, Flying Dog is local around here. For 10 years, Flying Dog and other oyster and the Oyster Recovery Partnership have worked together to keep the Chesapeake Bay ecosystem healthy and thriving, adding millions of baby oysters back into the bay to help filter impurities from the water. More oyster lends to more crabs, more fish, and more day drinking on ski jets. Oh, <laughs> on jet what skis, sorry. What could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? So crack open this beer and pat yourself on the back. For every Chesapeake wheat you drink, you're adding 10 little bivalves back into the bay. Awesome, awesome. Um, I am doing Dogfish Head, which I thought Dogfish Head was a Maryland brewery. It's nope. in Delaware. 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 But they have a they Delaware. have a restaurant brewery in Maryland. Yeah, right. Yeah. They got one right up the road in Gaithersburg. Yes. Yeah. 
like five minutes from me this way off i was here anyways i got the midas touch dogfish head ancient ale somewhere between wine and mead our original ancient ale is made with ingredients found in 2700 year old drinking vessels in the tomb of king midas so we got barley honey white muscat grapes and saffron so it's like some kind of weird mead beer hybrid sounds good yeah mead, is, mead can be interesting this is almost really good yeah so it's I, it's a really good flavor but the flavor needs it's like at a flavor six and it needs to be a flavor eight right like they just yeah. it's almost a little watery that makes this sense. one's a little maltier than i like an abv or than i like an ipa <laughs> let's see i'm already it's already hitting me <laughs> You're in it already. <laughs> and you can oh. taste that it's higher alcohol. Like you can tell right away. It's like, yeah. it's, it's I, like bordering on liquor. It's I, boozy. I, yeah. I just had that same feeling and I just read the label and realized mine is 9%. <laughs> mm. Mine is five on the nose. <laughs> Didn't awesome. notice that before I opened the bottle. Wow. That's and a I have cool a, I got to teach a meditation class a little Ooh, bit later. So this will fun. Be fun. <laughs> You'll be in the zone. I'll be in the zone <laughs> as you're sleeping. Um, so when buying shoes, are you more concerned with how it looks your style or how comfortable or functional it is? Style Gentlemen. over substance every time. Style before substance. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It depends on the, on the, you know, the use, right? Is this an athletic shoe? Is this like a more of like a, style shoe for better, lack of a better word but you know like for going out or wanting to you know i i have a great story short story around this have you ever heard of the boot whisperer no, no. so in a small texas town called wimberley and uh i don't know if you guys you probably know there's a lot of german expats in texas um dating all the way back to like you know pre-world war ii mm. anyways uh this this is german woman she is called the Boot Whisperer, and she has a store where she sells mostly, um, you know, used boots. But you know, it's Texas, so boots are boots are like a whole thing. Yeah. Um, she's so successful that her store is only open when you make an appointment. She's in half store hours. You got to call her. And her claim to fame is: you walk in, she takes a look at your feet, and she picks out the perfect pair of boots, comfort-wise from the 700 pairs that she's got in her store. So when I heard about this, and I was I was there a few years ago, uh, uh, speaking at a church, and I went to attend South by Southwest for a few days, I was like, I got to go check this out. Yeah. So I go to the store, I meet her, and she takes a look at my feet, and she didn't even ask me what size I am. She just looks at the feet, finds a pair of boots, and I slip them on. And I swear to you, I didn't know cowboy boots could be this comfortable, okay? <laughs> But the problem was they were the most plain looking um, pair of boots. And I said, I said, well, I want something with a little more flash. Yeah. She goes, you're welcome to buy any pair you want. I'm just telling you, these are the pair for you. So I wow. did not listen to her. <laughs> I went through the store, found a pair that fit me well, that had a lot more flash and sub. Uh, style yeah i can't wear them more than 45 minutes oh no that's the cutoff point 45 minutes listen to the and, boot then, and then it's like mm, yeah they start to hurt a lot so i should have listened i should have listened but 
but I, I get a, I get a good 45 minutes out of them. Yeah. I recently had to buy a new pair for disc golf. And so I needed, perform- of, of I needed cowboy boots. I needed comfort <laughs> and performance more than looks. Okay. And I ended up I, getting a, a pair that I didn't love how they looked, but they felt great and they perform well. Are there specialty disc golf shoes, like golf shoes? I'm all confused. Are you just buying? Like, um, there, there's a they have, like, couple, cleats? but like, if you get like an Adidas sort of cross trainer type of style okay. shoe that, or a, you know, or like a, a trail running shoe that usually works well mm-hmm. for disc golf. Okay. So I, um, why can't you hear me? We can hear you. Okay. I'm sorry. That just seemed weird. Um, so, uh, as as the stereotypical like women like shoes kind of thing like i don't not like shoes but i wear birkenstocks and chacos and merrells and like um i do have dress shoes but they are like there are no more if if it's 2 inches those like are my slutty shoes. Like I do not go <laughs> nice. higher than that. Boom. Uh, I, I like style, especially with shoes. I like style. Yeah. Um, because, and again, as a female pastor, like my dress is usually very conservative, but you can get away with a lot with shoes, right? Bring it with the shoes. But they have to be comfortable. They have to be comfortable. I, cause I just won't, I won't. Like I won't wear them. I will buy them. They will sit in my closet and I will not wear them. So what so, are the sermons titled when you're preaching in those slutty shoes? Well, I don't wear those to I'm church. Teasing. I'm teasing. So that's, for the wore, Mary, that's for the Mary Magdalene sermons. That's for the, you My know. favorite pair of shoes I ever bought were my wedding shoes and they were three inches, Ooh. which just tells you how, you know. Yeah. No, but they they were like... They were good shoes. Nice. They were excellent shoes. Well done. Um, but yeah, so I actually like wedges. If I'm going to have some height, I like wedges. Now, how often do you buy shoes? Like I tend to wear shoes as long as literally possible. Oh, they have to be falling apart. Like I still have a pair of boots that I will wear on occasion that I bought in like 1999. Okay. Random oldest pair of shoes. Are those your oldest pairs of shoes? I think that's my oldest pair. Yeah, Ogan, do you know oldest pair of shoes? I don't I don't I don't know. I have I have more shoes probably than both of y'all combined. I'm pretty sure I got a lot of shoes. And more more than last couple of years, I started the practice of if I'm buying a new pair, I have to get rid of a pair. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, Good practice. So I, I don't I don't know, but but I remember when when I was when I was moving in here and and I had three like you know, you know the like dry cleaning bags, those big, you know, mm-hmm. when you I had three of those full of shoes, pairs of shoes. And Ava was like, you have more shoes now than I've probably owned my entire life. What are you doing with the shoes? That's amazing. Yeah. Shoes. I could so maybe I, fill half of one of those bags. I buy, so the oldest pair of shoes I own are probably from 95 and they're a pair of hiking boots that somehow have not fallen apart yet. Um, and and probably because I I do a lot of hiking where you go through water, so that's where the chacos and the like Merrells, you know, stuff like that come in. But anyway, but I I don't. So I just bought a new pair of chacos last year, and the other ones I had had since two thousand and two. 
I, I could live in Chacos. And the only reason why I bought a new pair is because there was so much mud stuck in the bottom, like stuck in, and I couldn't move the straps anymore. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was like glue. So yeah. anyway, um, so I like so style. I like color. I just, I can't, it's gotta if be. You can get them both. Obviously that's the, that's the win, right? And it, could... So I guess I would say comfort over. Um, let me let me let me hit y'all to my favorite shoe shopping website, Shoebaka. Oh, I like it already. You gotta check that puppy out. Good Why don't you shoes, put that in the deals. chat or spell it out for us for our listeners? S H O E B A C C A. They are not a sponsor. Maybe we should look into that. Shoebaka. Shoebaka. Yeah, good 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 deals and shoes. Um, listener or viewer, watcher Tim. Tim says, Ogan and Shannon look very different than I imagined in my mind. I'm gonna take that as a compliment. That you're what? trying to say we look better. I don't understand what that means. Ask him what he means by that. What do you mean by that? Long time listener, first time viewer. He says exactly. very cool to like, watch this live. Tim Van Hatesma. Friend of yours, Brian, because he doesn't mention you. Because I was gonna say he does, he's like Brian looks exactly like I thought he would. He looks did exactly like he sounds. <laughs> that is a friend of mine. All right. So one man has been documenting on Instagram, a high profile sneakers and designers outfits of wealthy megachurch pastors. Mm -hmm. Some have been seen wearing shoes worth between $800 and $5,000. As the Instagram account grew, he started asking more serious questions about wealth, class and consumerism, including whether it's appropriate to generate massive revenue from selling the gospel of Jesus. It's an interesting phrase to use. Mm -hmm. um, I began asking, how much is too much? Is it okay to get rich off of preaching about Jesus? Yes. Now, what you I knew do, it. I knew no, Ogan no, was going to be the outlier. Let me finish. Let me finish. Bring what it. you do with the money that you make Bring it. is a whole other question. So if I make a lot of money being a pastor, being a minister... I don't think there's anything ostensibly wrong with that. Now, if I'm going to take that money and go buy a jet plane looking at you, Creflo Dollar, or, you know. For your fourth jet plane. Or my fourth <laughs> jet plane and a $5,000 pair of sneakers, that's not okay. That's where, I, that's where I am with that. So here's here's the thing that's kind of the questionable part to me. The, the only part of this I'll push back on, which is. If I dropped eight hundred dollars on a new iPhone, would my would anybody think twice about that? Right? No, because that's what iPhones cost. Well, okay, but <laughs> what I'm saying you is a, you can't get a two hundred dollar iPhone. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that, like, one, we have to be very careful of we we parishioners, people, whatever. We don't get to tell other people how they spend their paycheck, right? Agree. Like. We we don't get to discuss that. If I want to save all my money and take these luxurious trips once a year or something, like that's mine to do with. Yep. Um, if I want to buy a $800 pair of sneakers, like that's mine. The second part of the question is, is a serious question. You're right, Ogan. Like if I write multiple best-selling books and et cetera, et cetera, and there's because they're, it's spreading a gospel in a way that is hitting people and they're buying this and whatever, then yeah, it's what you do with it. Absolutely no question. You know, what I, what I appreciate, um, we are part of a, um, 
a center here called the ICJS, the Islamic Christian and Jewish Institute. And um, one of the Muslim scholars one day was talking years ago when, you know, we could get together in person. Um, and, and she was saying like, it's not against Islam to acquire wealth. It's what you do. It's, it's, it's also part of the creed to be charitable. Yeah. And I, um, and I don't think it's anti- Christian to be wealthy. Look at Zacchaeus, right? Like Jesus didn't judge him for having money or it's, but he judged Lazarus at the gate because he, he treated people poorly. Not, not only did Jesus not judge Zacchaeus, he went to his house for dinner. He's like, I'm going to get me some good food tonight. Right. right. <laughs> That's well, true. Zacchaeus but he also said like, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. So he noted there's challenges that but um, well, because of and, what money does to us, I right, think. Right. The right. obsession with money, the love of money is the root of evil, not yeah. money itself. Now, so. again, I do think there is a limit, I, but this is for everybody. I think there's a limit of how much money a person should have, period. Like, I I do. I Yeah, so I when have, Bernie tweeted out, you know, Jeff Bezos and uh, who's the Tesla owner? Um, 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 Crap. Elon, Elon Musk. Musk. Elon Musk. He said Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, the two two individuals own more than 40% of Americans put together. Right. And he said that is immoral. And not only is it immoral for them, it's immoral, it's immoral for a society to support that or celebrate that. I think I think it's immoral. I think it's immoral in as much as there are people in need. If nobody was in need, right? If we weren't having the suffering, the poverty this, you know, uh, the disenfranchisement that we had, if, if this, if this was some sort of weird utopia where everybody right. had their needs met, I may not, I may not be so quick to label that immoral, but, but the idea that, um, that they have this amount of wealth and they're literally people sleeping on the streets, there's, there's an imbalance there, right? Right. Um, well, not only that, but they're, let's like specifically with Amazon, you're not paying people a living wage. You're no. not giving them health care. They like the Amazon people who stock and deliver and pack those, yeah. they have literally saved our lives this year. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and, and he made and billions more made because of it. And his billions of dollars off of it. And he is not giving that back to the people right. that work for him. Right. It's not yeah. even charity. Like, that work for him. Now Elon so Musk pushed back and said, "I'm I'm using that money toward expanding uh, life in an interplanetary, you know, like you know, I'm going to so, I'm going to put humans on Mars. That's what I'm doing." I don't, Which I don't is know. Such. Did y'all see that meme where it's like the space hotel and they were like, "We just wanted healthcare." Like, yeah. <laughs> I did. I did see that. I did see that. Uh, you know, uh, and and listen, I'm 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 not against I'm not against the spirit of exploration and expanding technology, right? Because that's that's how we do things like yeah. cure diseases, right? It's I'm not against that at all, and it's like now is not the time, maybe, <laughs> right? Yeah, and, and now is not the time to worry about going to Mars and I, yeah. I just yeah. Now's now, the time to cure the diseases on this planet. So on the on the pastor front, like it, you know, as those of us who are not mega church pastors and mega wealthy people, it often feels like as a pastor, you have to 
sort of fight for yourself to to get like to get a salary that's adequate uh you know at the least and so it's it it's hard to like then say no pastors you know you don't want to go in the pastor should always be poor camp like i don't advocate for that i think you know we all know we are underpaid and (laughs) no i i think that the the pastor's salary should be whatever in your town your education level the the equivalent professions mm-hmm. so let's even go what are those so i would even take because these are easily accessible numbers one of the things that i do to help people advocate when they switch calls is find out how much a teacher with your amount of experience with a master's degree makes in your area that's good and because why like that that to me isn't like don't i'm not even though we should be more doctor and lawyer like Seriously. not so much doctor but definitely law- lawyers same amount of years in school etc cetera, etc cetera. same like big oh, exam nicely paid psychologists 100% right? right therapists teachers um you know that's the category i i choose teachers cuz those numbers are public now, does your yeah. presbytery, like, or the denomination provide guidelines? Because we have, like, a, you know, yeah. the UCC provides, you know, for the Michigan Conference, here's, you know, here's our recommended window of where a salary should be based on years in ministry and congregation size. And I will say this as well. Not all presbyteries do this, but Baltimore Presbytery has a cap. You cannot pay your pastor more than this amount. Wow. No way. But that's, I actually approve of that. Yeah. I think that's okay. Because if you're, I mean, it is a high cap. Let's not lie. That that was going to be my next question. Where's the cap? Where's the cap at? (laughs) It's, it's, it's like twice the minimum, right? It's like twice the minimum. And you're supposed to be, there's a midway point that you're supposed to be after five years. That's a little optimistic. I'm going on 10 and I just hit it. So, and I'm, I'm fine with that. I actually think that my church, and I'm not just saying this because this is public. Like, I think my church does a good job paying their pastor. Like, and, and mine, mine does too. And, but what was interesting was when the pandemic hit and we went virtual, some people are like, is he still making full-time salary? <laughs> yes. And I'm more than I'm like, working I'm for like, it. Yeah. Cause I haven't <laughs> stopped working full-time. I know. I know. Yeah. So, you know, just before we move on, I would say, you know, the tension is, of course, that we are preaching about Jesus, uh, who in many ways sort of is is always reminding us to to care for the poor and um, be generous. And, and you could argue lived a life very subsistently, very minimally was not ostentatious. Um, so and I there's, really, there's, ten, there's tensions all around and it just feels like it's a hot potato. And that's between, honestly, like at the end of the day, that's between you and Jesus, right? I mean, yeah. it really, like if you, if you stand up and preach in $5,000 shoes, that's between you and Jesus, man. <laughs> like. Tune in next week. <laughs> So, so the other part of this question, though, is, and what this comes out of when you talk about the wealthy megachurch preachers, is also the celebrity preacher culture, right? Right, um, and and we've seen a lot of this in the news, you know, recently with 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 the dude from 
what used to be Justin Bieber's church, uh, Carl Lentz was his name or whatever, yeah. um, you know, and and there's this there's this. And one of the things he said a few years back was me being with these celebrities is what's bringing attention and money to the church. And if I'm with these celebrities, I have to look a certain way. These expensive clothes are my pretty much my uniform for what I'm doing, which was a real stretch, uh, uh, you know, but 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 the but this celebrity pastor culture yeah. that that we have is is an interesting phenomenon. Um, and I remember I remember talking with uh, um, a naked pastor. I forget. I can't remember. Yeah, David Hayward. Right now. Yeah, David yeah. Hayward. And he was like, yeah, this might be a this might be a an American thing because we don't we don't have celebrity pastors. in No, <laughs> no. And it's not. Yeah. And I, I think that's a whole that's a whole thing right there. But but going back to the like pastors should be paid a certain way. I, there was a church in, no, our seminary, when you have to do field education, and there were seminary students who couldn't afford the clothes that you have to wear for your, your being in a church setting, your, your duties, your, yeah, and they would provide a stipend so that you could buy a suit or you could right. buy, you know, and, and I, I think that people underestimate just how much those kind of things cost that, that, yeah. per, you know, like, I don't agree necessarily with that, but I also kind of sit there and go like, there's a reason why there's closets out there for people who are experiencing homelessness to go on job interviews and you borrow the clothes. These aren't clothes. These aren't jeans and t-shirts. You know, this isn't right. Whatever. Not that jeans are cheap anymore either, but that's a whole nother discussion for another day. Indeed. Next week, uh, <laughs> when buying jeans, are you more concerned with comfort or style? Um, yes. Okay. Uh, so Tim, 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 Tim on face, hang on. Tim on Facebook reminded me that yes, they are celebrity features in Nigeria as well. Good point. Oh. Yes. All right. There you go. <laughs> we got some of those. There you go. All right. Um, Reverend Laura Shavitz wrote this week, being Asian American means living in a country that treats you as a perpetual foreigner. In the wake of the recent shootings in Atlanta, how do we address the rampant racism and white supremacy that continues to plague our society? FBI Director Christopher Way says, while the motives remain under investigation at the moment, it does not appear that the motives were racially motivated. Senator uh, Reverend Raphael Warnock disagreed saying, we all know hate when we see it. All right. So in the wake of the recent Atlanta shootings, how do we address the rampant racism and white supremacy that continue to plague our society? Um, we 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 keep calling it what it is. We keep calling it out. Yeah. We keep naming it. Um, we keep speaking to it. And um, we keep teaching folks what it is and why it exists and how it exists and how it hurts everyone, even those who are white. Like no one, no one benefits from systemic discrimination. Nobody. Um, and I, I think, I think there's a there's a certain um, thanks to last summer, even a greater awareness around that. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I forget who I heard that said this, and I might have shared it here before, but 
you know, some, you know, somebody was asked why, you know, we, we've seen people being killed at the hands of police officers before. Why was it that George Floyd's murder really like woke people up in a way that they weren't woken up before? <laughs> Their answer was because of the pandemic. And they were like, what do you mean? We were all home. Like we were stuck in our houses and we were all home in front of the TV and more people saw that than they probably saw any other, um, you know, mass shooting or, or yeah. death at the hands of police officers. There was, there was, there was this, there was this, like it, it shook people in a much more um, vivid way. And it was long it and was painful. Long. By the way, it was not a shooting where it's done, right? Right. That's exactly. It was right. long. Eight, and eight minutes, forty-six painful. seconds. Eight minutes, yes. forty-six seconds. By the way, I wanna, I wanna plug, I wanna plug uh, my new, uh, my new online spiritual ministry experience. It's called Project Sanctus, and it launched this past weekend. You can check it out at projectsanctus.com. And the reason why I'm plugging it now is because. Uh, we're doing we're one of the things we're doing is basically a zoom book study dedicated to educating ourselves about racism and systemic racism and white supremacy and how to be anti-racist and um it we're calling it the 846 book club in 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 i don't how do you say in honor in remembrance in, in remembrance in, yeah. in remembrance of that tragic murder um so I want to invite everyone listening to, to join us for that. Um, in a few weeks, we're going to be looking at a book called 400 Souls. I don't know if you've heard about this book, but it's basically um, the guy who wrote How to Be an Anti-Racist, Ibram Kendi, and another author. Again, thanks to this bear, the names are escaping me. Um, they basically commissioned 90 Black writers and gave each of them a, a span of five years to write about from 1619 to 2019 and each author wrote it's it may be a historical um, um reference facts it might be poetry it might be a short story but it's just this beautiful um codex of of writings of black america from the inception basically inception of slavery to 2019 um and we don't hear about the black story enough Asian American story, sort of the same thing, right? Like this country has a history of, oh, of yeah. negative Asian American sentiment from from that was here before the that was here before this. War. It was actually governed written into the policies right. of government. And then I mean the first racial um citizen case, where did I watch this? Was actually uh uh Asian American was trying to get to be a citizen. And the court said that's when it split from being yep. black and white. And he argued that he was white. He was, I think, um, Eastern Indian, like a, yeah. of Asian descent. And he argued that he wasn't black. So therefore he was he white. Was white. And like, then nope. that's when they expanded the racism in the law <laughs> because okay. of that. They're like, but that's a fast. <laughs> but I think, I think what Atlanta has really shown us and like, you, we can argue about what the FBI specifically is looking for in the hate crime. I mean, that is a, it's, it's like calling something a genocide. There are certain ticks they have to yep. make, but we don't, we, we know that there is a bias here and that is racism, but 
I think what Atlanta really did is show evidence of not just not just violence or racism against Asian Americans, but specifically women and the sexualization of yep. Asian American women. And what yep. our society has done to that. We've done the same thing with black women and, and, and all kinds of other, <laughs> all women really, but like, you know, but, but if you, I mean, I, what is the statistic that like Asian porn is some of the most sought after, um, you know, in terms of clicks and whatever. Um, I have a good friend that is part of a nonprofit that does um, help sex workers get out of sex work and mm. so she sometimes shares these statistics and they're yeah. just kind of fascinating yeah um but the the it's that ownership feeling right it's the people feel that they can you know i have so many the Presbyterian church has a long history good or bad of um of uh, history in korea um, and so there, I have a lot of specifically female Korean friends in our church and mm. they share these stories all the time. So I also think it's Which important, Laura, to, by the way, is one of them. So <laughs> I also think it's important to state here that, yes, there are some people who some women who are involved in sex work as um, um, either no alternative or they're 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 entrapped into it. But there are also people who are involved in sex work voluntarily of their own free will. And, and I believe for them, sex work is real work. I believe there's a lot of, um, um, that there should be a lot of laws to protect them as well. And, and national and health care would be helpful. That would be, that would be helpful. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 you know, it's, it's important to recognize that, that, that because we tend to label sex work or have this idea that sex work is a bad thing. It's a negative thing. And nobody is there unless, and, and nobody wants to be involved in that. And that's not the, the so whole let me, truth. Let me be more specific. Case. My friend, Sarah helps run a nonprofit called Araminthia, which is, um, uh, shoot. Anyway, what they, thinking, we write, they spent <laughs> a really long day. <laughs> they specifically deal with people who are sex trafficked. Yes, exactly. And that that is a whole other category. That's a whole other category. But exactly. this is where you get the statistics of who is being sought after right. for sex trafficking. It's also, um, you know, these. It, it's also let's just kind of go this way of look at the nail salons that aren't part of a bigger salon. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, they're usually, at least in my area, they're usually Vietnamese and it's a room full of white women getting their nails done by v Vietnamese women and men. And so it's just, there's this servant idea as well yeah. that goes along with it. You know? Yes. Yes, there is. Yes, there and, is. But I, I have, I know that a lot of black people experience this as well, but I, I know that basically every Asian person that has ever shared this with me, I know it is rampant that they get told to, where are you from? And they're not meaning like what part of the United States. Right. It's that, it's that stereotype of, of docility and servitude and, um, and in that sexual context as well. And, and the the other part of this is again the damage that 
yes, there, there's no doubt for me this is racially motivated. I think it's both, both the racial motivation and the whole religious sexual suppression, yeah. you yes. know, that right. that so many churches. Which we just and do Christians not talk do. about enough. We do not. That sexual, yep. that, that idea of sexual purity mm. is just, and that, and that the presence of these women is tempting to him right. and therefore it is their fault. He puts the problem on them without on, on them. owning his bullshit. Well, not only is it bullshit, but it's it's abuse that yes. your body is chemically doing things to you as a young man in the world. And there's these churches are telling you yep. everything about that is wrong. Everything about that is bad. Like that is it's not uh, it's so I, I don't know. I'm I'm caught well, up in speaks, that. It's, it's a recipe for that. what happens. And it also speaks to the larger sexism we have in society where we blame women for the violence against women. Right. right. So, I mean, we saw this, we, we saw this uh, most recently. Um, that woman pastor who was, that preached against his wife. Oh my. Needing <laughs> to lose weight. What was yes. this? You miss this? Oh no! Yeah, that dude. He is. He's. He's. He's talking about how women need to lose weight and get sexy for their husbands. Stop. And, and keep he's them actually interested. Keep him interested. Yeah. He. He was. He suddenly was like, you know, took a leave of absence after that sermon. Is this the he, 1950s? What is? Where, was, what is this guy doing? Unreal. Yeah. It was, that, it was unreal. Yeah. But but. But part of this also, again, so we saw this in most recently in, in England, the woman who was murdered by the cop. Um, I forget her name. <sighs> names. But anyways, know, after after she was murdered, like the cops are going go door to door to tell women what to do to keep themselves safer. And the narrative is also is always women. You got to dress less seductively. You got to yep. not do this and not do that. And no one's talking to the men who are the perpetrators of the violence. So you're blaming, it's victim blaming, right? You're blaming the yep. victims for not taking the proper measures to keep themselves safe instead of addressing the the, the perpetrators of the violence. But but yes, when, when, when you are brought up, and this was my bringing up as well, when you are brought up in a religious context that says to you, um, if it's outside of marriage, any sort of sexual feelings and urges, are not okay and it's you have to learn how to wrong. suppress them and it's wrong right you this then then you project the blame rather than take accountability or or accept that or this find is healthy outlets healthy right. outlets and this is a natural part of human development right, right? right. like you know when you when you when you tell a teenager that masturbating is wrong and practically sinful like that's right. like what like what what does that do to your and yeah and to give healthy outlets for the biological hormonal just right. human feelings that you're having yep. here are some here are some healthy outlets for those things so you're not turning towards you know this other uh, obsession which is what it really becomes you know i mm -hmm. i just uh, we still need to have those conversations with our girls, but we need to change the conversation to make sure they know from the beginning, these are the things that you do. But if something happens, none of that is your fault. From yeah. the beginning, that needs to be the message. It was and, not the way you dress. It was right. not the way, you know, whatever. And we're and not having enough smart. conversations with our boys as well. And, and you have That's to, but, the issue. And the other thing, we have a family of mixed households where, 
you have those conversations in front of both of them at the same time. Right? Yes. You know, you, you like, this is what I have to tell your sister. And like someday, you know, so yeah. funny, just, this is not funny or light, but just in terms of, cause one of the things that we talk about a lot is we talk a lot about, they do it wrong, but we don't talk a lot about, okay, more progressive church. How do we do this? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll admit my own kind of uncomfortableness about talking about sex from the pulpit or, you know, yeah. things like that. And like, and I, I once had an intern and part of the internship was to send them off to some other churches, you know, like once a month, they went to another church to hear that preacher. And they went to a, a friend of mine's church and, and he preached and he came back and, and I was really good friends with we were a couple of friends, right? So I was really good friends with his wife and all that. And I said, well, what'd you learn? What'd you, and he, she said like, well, the sermon was about sex. And I was like, oh, so is he for it or against it? You know? And like, she goes, well, he has two kids. So I'm assuming he's for it. Like it was, just, <laughs> like, it was like the best conversation, but I was like, why, why am I so afraid to talk about? I know why I'm afraid to talk about it. And again, I've said this over and over again. And as a woman who's already sexualized, you know, from the pulpit, like it's really important that male pastors talk about this in a healthy way, you know. My and- uh, my favorite ask the minister question was about pornography. And yeah, spoke about yeah. spoke about that from the pulpit. That yeah. was fascinating. No, I um, think I think it's really I think it's really helpful. Like yeah. we need to be able to talk about this and not not make it shameful. Exactly. You know. Yeah. And um, that's hard to do. I, w- I want to go to a couple of Facebook comments yeah. um, from folks who are watching. Uh, Tony says uh, that he disagrees with the nail salon analogy. There's this is no different than any other small business. They are a business. You pay them for the work they do. I also don't really think this is tied to the Asian fetish problem. Um, thank you, Tony, for saying that. We might agree to disagree on that one. <laughs> um, Tim reminds us that 96% of murder is caused by men in the U.S. They are only 49% of the population. We have a problem with men here. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. And he also gives you a shout out and says, preach, Shannon. I don't know what that was for us two minutes ago. Whatever you said two minutes ago was good. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. It was yeah. The best two minutes in sports. It was a little derby reference for you, friends. Um, so seen on TV, the City Parks and Recreation Department is asking for your help in naming the new turf tank painting robot. I was going to suggest way, skip I'm this question. Stop and just when I read this, I forgot about this question. When I read this, I was like, what does this have to do with anything, Brian? <laughs> but I'm going to read it anyway. No, read it. Okay. So uh, the City Parks and Recreation Department is asking for your help in naming the new turf tank painting robot. Exclamation point. The turf tank is an autonomous GPS enabled robot designed to paint precise athletic field lines in less time and using less paint than traditional methods. It is expected to begin painting lines for spring sports in late April. What would you name it? Some so this offering... was posted to Facebook, not seen on TV, seen on Facebook. Seen on Facebook. Some offerings in the comments. Painty McLean face. Totally voting for that one. Meryl Stripe. <laughs> also good. Affordable housing. And name it after the person whose job it is replacing. 
So I included it because it, it highlights, you know, I think as the comments went on, people are like, is this what we're spending? And this was a local city to me that posted this. Yeah. Is this what we're spending the city budget on while we have people who are on the streets, don't have somewhere to live, who where, needed we're, a job. where we people are unemployed and we're, we're celebrating this we robot get, that's basically taking the jobs from people who were doing which that. Which is a, which you is got a celebrity passers with $5,000 shoes. Like what's happening <laughs> to this world? Line painting robots. <laughs> Which is, I mean, it's a fairly low skill job, right? So it's it's not something that needs a big education or even a high school degree, right? And like if the could, line isn't straight, you could be costing some you know, some athlete a future career in sports. Think there we go. <laughs> there are some rules, but nonetheless. So so you know, it's it's fascinating because so this is part of you know we we recently with the election we talked about the big lie, right? That they talked about how the election yeah. was stolen. Big lie. Yeah. Part of an ongoing big lie is that it's immigrants who are stealing the jobs. No, it's not. It's technology who's stealing the jobs. It's automation that's stealing the jobs. It's shipping the jobs overseas for cheap labor that's stealing the jobs, right? And I think this this sort of speaks to that, which speaks to the larger thing, which is corporate greed. How can we make the most, spend the less, and you know, the people who work for us be damned. So that's why for the most part on principle, when I go to a grocery store, I don't do the automatic, I don't do the self-checkout. I I go to a real person unless the line is like, you know, 15 people deep and I'm in a hurry. Um, But, but I, I, I think automation, which, and you know, and again, it's weird. I'm all for progress. I'm all for improving our technologies around things. But but then when it comes to we're going to replace someone's livelihood, then I think we got to reexamine the use of the technology. Which I a couple of years ago I was wait rebuttal Brian although what oh wait no go ahead I mean you don't want to deny Meryl Stripe of a job if if the opportunity is there Meryl Stripe's doing just fine then (laughs) then that's what you call the job right you 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 label the job you have the person who's painting the lines and make them wear the T-shirt that says I'm Meryl Stripe whatever I'm Painty McLean face. There's a, there's a workaround. No, so so a couple of years ago, that was very true for me, right? Like one person to do the checkout of like eight checkouts, right? So that used to be eight people. Now it's one person or maybe two at most. Right. But now we have the people, like there are so many workers shopping, like personal, like I order oh. online, they're shopping. Right. So there's a little bit of balance that has come back to that. Ooh. Is that not as many people are on the checkout, but there's a lot more people in the back. And and honestly, and and this may just be my need to be a little bit like it's okay in so many ways, but that's part of the reason why I'm gonna continue online ordering and delivering is I'm like, this is these are jobs for people. And I tip well, like it's fine, you know. Yeah. And when honestly, like around here uh, at one of our major grocery store outlets, people who are doing the online ordering wear green t shirts. And I'm like the only person in the aisle, like who's not wearing green. I'm like, wait, why am I still doing this? Why are you still doing this? <laughs> it's funny. You know what? I offered um, 
we have a parishioner who's she's she's a nurse in the in the VA hospital. God love her. And she was assigned the no, they turned her floor into the COVID unit without discussing it with them. And she has been in the thick of it for more than a year. And I have been um, the church kind of mails her gifts once a month. And we have some other people that we do that with who's who are really like frontlines on this. But I. <laughs> I asked her husband, I said, would it be helpful if I did the, like the grocery, the local grocery store, if I paid for the delivery for a year and he goes, please don't take my grocery shopping from me. It's the only hour I get out of the house from the kids. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, noted, totally fine. Got it. Just I gift certificate you. coming your way. <laughs> Sometimes grocery you. shopping is self-care. <laughs> He was, like, he was like, he just got dead serious. He was like, please, please don't take that away from me. <laughs> and before, you know, just one last thought on this is that, you know, as technology expands and jobs that typically required a human can be done with technology, to me, it highlights the need to move towards some sort of universal basic income for a nation as wealthy as ours. Absolutely. Where you have the, you're able to meet your minimum, you know, obligations, whatever your job status. Right. Absolutely. 100%. So how does one balance things like self-care and Jesus called to lay down our lives? Are these things in conflict? Yeah. I mean, Jesus wasn't about going to therapy and making sure you're checking in and getting time off, right? As, as, as our friend in Baltimore, Heber Brown says, it's okay to have Jesus and a therapist. <laughs> yes. Agreed. I do. Not only is it okay, it should be required. Uh, Absolutely. I was asking devil, devil's advocate, tongue in cheek. Devils devils don't need advocates. I know. Um, I know. But listen, Jesus, Jesus was, Jesus modeled self-care, right? He really did. Yeah. He really did. He would go into towns. I I loved it. He would go into towns, say controversial things, get people all riled up. And then next verse is like, he vanished from their mists, right? right? Next thing you know, he's in the desert for a few days, chilling out. And then it uh, says, and they were all hunting for him because they couldn't pretty, find him. Pretty, pretty much. Uh, so no, he, he, he was very clear to, to model, to model that. Um, and so for me, when, when I hear the, ver- or hear the line or phrase lay down your life, right? This is the idea of service. You're, mm-hmm. you're in service, you're given. And the truth is you can only give what you have. Yeah. So, so if you deplete yourself, then that's it. You're done. You have to replenish yourself in order that you can give of yourself. So, so that's, that's the balance. You gotta, you gotta do both or the given will kill you literally. Yeah. And, 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 you know, we, we pastors and clergy, especially, and people in, in, health professions and frontline care workers are, are really bad at self-care because we want to give, we want to give all you Enneagram twos out there. I'm talking to you as well. You want to give, 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 you want to serve, 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 because that's how you're hardwired and that's great. But if you don't take the time to replenish, it's literally going to kill you. It is is the hardest lesson I have had to learn. Absolutely. Without question. I am an Enneagram too. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the question came up because I was preaching on um, John 12, where Jesus talks about unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it cannot bear much fruit. And he sort of hints at certainly that's his path, but also everyone who follows him that, you know, we're invited into this posture of, of laying it down, of giving it all away, of being willing to die. And it's like, really, Jesus? Like, I already feel dead. Like, it's been By a way, long year. Derek, what Derek I preached this last week. Off and, you know. Derek preached this last week. More? And he preached that text. And he was like, Jesus did not know how seeds worked. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> He's like, that is not how seeds work. <laughs> nice. You're no but, farmer. But this is, I mean, this is part of the farewell discourse of John, right? This is Jesus, like... He's, he's, a, I mean, this is chapter 15 and chapter 18, he's going to sit at the table. He's, he's, they're going to go to the Gethsemane and he's going to be like, you're going to fall asleep on me and you're going to deny me and you're going to betray me and you're going to do, and then you're going to run away. And like, he is, he is working them yeah. to that moment, trying to help them and and he's trying, I mean, because right after this verse is, if the world hates you, like they hated me first, just like, and, and just accept this otherness that's happening right now that, I mean, there's always going to be haters. There's all haters going to hate, baby. Haters haters but even hate. before that, after this verse, he says, those who hate their life will preserve it. But those who hang on to their lives will lose it wait those who hate their lives will gain it i should well, say yeah or save it and those who sort of try to preserve their lives will lose them so, so he's, it's like a it's like a it's like a it's this ironic like if you're willing to give it all up you'll find it but if you're desperate to sort of always hang on always preserve always sort of be about self right eh, is that where you want to be so it's, there's it's no about as buddhist as he ever got it's about non-attachment <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, they, this is, I mean, this is love one another as I have loved you. And there's no greater life than to lay. And this is what's interesting to me is like, I, I don't know. We talk about this as if he was talking to us, but like, I, it to me and John, especially, I think he's really talking about himself here that and yet he then goes on to say, like, love one another as I have loved you. I'm, there's no greater love than the lay down one's life. That's where I'm going to have to go. And so, and if you, you're, and then he's back to, you're my friends if you do as I commanded, which is love each other the way. That doesn't mean you just start dying, right? right? It's not about like, that's not helpful. Like, he's not saying that. No. He's, you know, because even Peter in the end says, like, I will follow you even if they, even if I'm, I'm killed right beside you. And Jesus is like, that's not your path here, dude. Like you're, that's not, that's not what not I'm yet. saying. Not yet. He'll get there. Not, right. He'll get there, but like <laughs> not yet. <laughs> and, and I don't know, like, I think this is a part that this is ultimately about love and about it, like this is not the law this is not whatever this is not about dying this is this is about love and this is about treating each other well and what i mean by that is is respectful and righteousness and peace and compassion so yeah. anyway that's my dissertation on john 15 
There you go. And I and I'm sorry, I was mixing in a little John 12 because that's what was on my mind, but then I did reference John 15 with what I put in quotes there. So, you know, I'm the just... self self-care and we've I think we've all learned this last year self-care looks like a whole lot of different things, right? And and we have I mean, Ogan and I have a very close friend who lost their father in October because he was an emergency worker for the county was supposed to retire but they were in the middle of handing out ppe to everybody and he's like i just can't do it i just i'm gonna hold on till the end of this thing and ended up getting covid COVID. and died Mm. and and it's about that that is an for me it's not that we're called to put ourselves in situations right but it's every nurse every doctor every person who cleans a hospital room you know every first responder in that way that happened to get it because they were serving that greater good yeah that's what it means to lay down your life for others for sure without it and we're not necessarily called to do that do you know what i mean like we're not like we shouldn't be out there actively looking of like ways we can die for another person. <laughs> right. And I, but, and you know, but, in the early church, I think they took some of this literally and it was like, if I can exactly. be a martyr, then I've arrived. And they were like looking for ways to like right. die for Jesus. But, but, the, but, but contextually that was also, you know, they're occupied by a foreign nation who are constantly mm-hmm. being persecuted and being tortured and killed at the slight. So if, if you, so, 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 so to, to make that reference of this is the ultimate show of, love for your brother sister mother father daughter to to go in their place for that i can understand that as well and sure. to shannon's point sure we don't go looking for it but are we prepared to do it if the if the opportunity presents itself right yeah that's the question who literally who would you die for yeah. Right. You know, and I would like to say that it would be for anybody, but I got a short list. I'm not dying for anybody. I, no, I, right? Like, I got a short list. The kids, <laughs> your, you know, a couple of family members, maybe right. <laughs> a friend I mean, or two. If I'm I would, I would love really to generous. say, I would love to say that I would. I hope Jesus isn't listening. He doesn't tune in every week, so we're we're okay. Well, you know, you know, yeah whatever they you know we 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 like we we like to promote this christian narrative that jesus died for us you know like jesus died because he pissed off the wrong people let's just right. call it what it is right. okay when you do that you get yourself in trouble yeah you do um yeah and even so i'll, I'll just give one more before we wrap up yeah. which i think is less of an example of like this is my job of service but um the people that were killed in charleston who let this young man into their Bible study who they did not know, who let's be honest, looked a little suspect right. and said, nope, this is the gospel. Come on in. This is a church. You are welcome here. Come into this space. And, and that was the essence of mother Emmanuel, right? That's who that's Christianity at its best. Yeah. And, and unfortunately ended in that way. Um, and it just, but that, I will lay down my life for the gospel in that way really meant like 
when we say all are welcome to hear this message of love of Christ, then we mean all are welcome. So come sit down, you know. It's not, it's not compromising our principles because of fear. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's tough. That's a it, tough it call. is very tough. <laughs> it's a tough call. It is tough. Wow. We ended on a. And then on a high note. Wow. <laughs> so happy Holy Week next week, everyone. Yes. Yes. Perfect Seriously. for leading into Holy Week. This is really like a Good Friday Eve. This is what this was. Aye. Well, thank you for tuning in, friends, to Pub Theology Live. You can show your love for this show by becoming a supporter on Patreon. We know you love us, so if you're not on Patreon, like, come on. You can sign up at uh, patreon.com slash Live. Are you guilting our listeners? Don't guilt our listeners. I'm not guilting anyone. I'm not guilting anyone. Sorry, let me start over. If you would like to be a supporter of the show, go to patreon.com slash PT live because you'll get access to extended interviews with special guests, pre and post show banter. And a big thank you to our current patrons. You can listen anytime on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, and Google podcasts. And if you'd like to watch us live, if you're a longtime listener, you'd like to be a first time viewer, tune in around 445 Eastern on Facebook. Although soon that may be shifting to Monday, so stay tuned. And if you'd like to start a pub theology conversation group in your town, visit pubtheology.com. Until next time, friends, drink responsibly and keep those conversations flowing. By the way, we the had way. nearly 100 uh, listens from Norway in the past week. So Who's in Norway? Say, <laughs> if you're in Norway and you're listening, thank you. And we see you. Why, why didn't you mention that in the main part of the show? Is that a bot? Like, I'm what's going on? <laughs> we also had people in Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam, tuning in. As well as several cities in California, New York City, I mean, all over the place. Iowa, Nebraska, gonna, Indiana, Georgia, Florida, Michigan, I mean, Louisiana, Ohio. Name it. I mean, <laughs> part of this Idaho, is also probably. Illinois, Indiana. You know, product, product of <laughs> longevity. We have been doing this for a while. We have been doing it for a while. I mean, there is a lot. I mean, Versailles, France. I mean, come on. That's Lenny Kravitz. Lenny Kravitz is, is hooking in. He's like, yeah, what are they up to? By the way, Lenny Kravitz, hashtag life goals. That dude, Oh, man. my God, Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> Woo. Oh.